Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. Are you living with the chaos, confusion, and uncertainty that a toxic person loves to create? Is a partner, parent, ex, sibling, child, or coworker causing you to second-guess yourself? That can be crazy-making. I'm here to help you save your sanity. So let's get down to it and figure some things out now. Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to Save Your Sanity Podcast. I'm Dr. Roberta Shaler. In this episode, we're going to talk about something that I haven't talked about before in these very straightforward terms. I'm going to give you straightforward information on four types of narcissistic behavior and three degrees that some of it happens in. And it's important to know these things because if you understand the differing places that people engage in narcissistic behavior and the differing ways that it shows up, then you can calibrate what's happening in the relationships that you're concerned about. And it will help you to make healthy, health-affirming choices um, and decisions about what should happen in those relationships and how to keep yourself safe. That's very, very important. And so we're going to start by talking about these four types of narcissism and if you've been enjoying the podcast, and I hope you have, I hope you'll consider um, supporting the podcast. You can do that simply by going to patreon.com slash save your sanity. You can support it with a dollar, five dollars a month, ten dollars a month. They're a one-time donation, but we appreciate that if you're finding value here. And be sure to tell your friends as well. Invite them to come along. Everybody can benefit from having this information. It doesn't matter whether you're currently in a toxic relationship, but you want to know what they look like, don't you, so that you can avoid them. Know what to do with them when they show up in the workplace. What if a friend or a new friend shows these signs and red flags? Are you ready to do something about that? If you're not, because you haven't been educated, then you may not see them and you could get into a deep, dark place. So it's valuable to know the things that I talk about on Save Your Sanity, whether or not you are experiencing them at the moment. So very important. And remember that you can always go to forrelationshiphelp.com. That's my website, F-O-R, relationship, H-E-L-P.com. Okay, so let's get into this. How's it going to help you to know these four types? Well, as I describe them, you'll you'll be surprised at the differences among them, perhaps. And that as I describe them, there will be pieces of them that you say, oh, yes, these three pieces are exactly what's going on in the relationship I'm concerned about. So this will help you see the patterns see how they go together. Then at the toward the end, I'll talk about these degrees of narcissistic behavior that I have developed so that you can learn a little bit more about what I have learned in that regard. And then you can put it all together for yourself so that you can see, am I in a narcissistic relationship? What kind of a relationship am I in? 
what are the tendencies of the person who has the narcissistic behaviors and are they all right with me on any level? Are they all right with me? So uh, let's carry on. The first one is the one that is the classic. It's the one that we think of most often when we think of narcissistic behavior. So I want to make a distinction before I jump in that people who have narcissistic tendencies or narcissistic behaviors are not necessarily diagnosable with narcissistic personality disorder. So it is inaccurate to call them narcissists. These are people who have narcissistic tendencies. So, you know, I kind of gave you a new title for those folks so that you could talk about them without making a clinical diagnosis of narcissism. And that, of course, is my term hijackals, which we can use is these are the behaviors and traits, patterns and cycles that hijackals also have. And for those who haven't heard my term hijackals before, it's defined this way. Hijackals are people who hijack relationships for their own purposes and then relentlessly scavenge them for power, status, and control. And for those of you who've been listening to that, me for a while, you could probably recite that along with me, but that's good because it reminds you. So let's look at the classic one, the grandiose one, the, the one that you expect, the one who is arrogant and the one who is always wanting the spotlight, in fact, hogging the spotlight, grabbing the spotlight, shining it just on them. And if you have a success in life, they don't want to celebrate unless they get some referent glory from it. So even if you're celebrating something really important to you, they will do something to divert the attention back to them. This is a grandiose narcissist. So they're boastful and they're self-absorbed and they're entitled. They believe that everything should happen for them in the way that they want it. And who are you to have a different want? You are supposed to want what I want because I am the most important person in the room. And they're exploitative and they're aggressive. They, they, they're quite overt in their behavior many times, the ones that we think of as the classic narcissistic person because they are larger than life, they are demanding, they make assumptions, they make presumptions, they push their way to the front, they're always demanding attention, and they're confident, so we like that about them, they're confident, they're self-satisfied, they, um, they believe that their needs should override everybody else's needs. Um, it's just a given with them. They'll steamroller over anything. And they're quite distrustful of other people. So these grandiose narcissistic types become kind of the archetype when we think of it. And unfortunately, there are other kinds as well that are maybe not quite as obvious, but are just as insidious. They will wear you down, tear you down, and put you down, no matter which of these types of narcissistic behaviors we're talking about. So it's important then to know the distinctions just because that gives you a broader view of all things narcissistic. So do you have someone in mind, maybe that grand person, that grandiose person who always has to be right and always at the front of the line and always, what about me? That would be a very classic 
grandiose, narcissistic set of traits. So that's important to notice because they're a little more obvious than the others. And sometimes if you've been raised in a home where you have been taught to uh, be compassionate, go the extra mile, uh, give first, um, all of those things, these people will see you coming and take advantage of you quickly because they see you as a potential follower. They see you as someone already groomed to meet their needs, to put them first. So they will they will find you attractive and you may be happy to have them find you so it's a match made in heaven, but it soon deteriorates to somewhere a lot lower. <laughs> so it's important to see that. Now, the second category of narcissistic tendencies and traits is vulnerable narcissists. Now, these are the ones who are more covert, although overt and covert exist in all of these, but these are the ones that are more covert. These are the ones who are kind of under the radar because they like to play the victim. And so they're a little more subtle and they're equally self-absorbed and they're equally lacking in empathy, maybe I didn't mention that about the grandiose narcissists, they they do have an empathy deficit for sure, because putting themselves in your shoes, which is empathy, to know how you're experiencing life is something that they question, like, why should I do that? It's all about me. Why should I put myself in your shoes? That's a waste of my precious time. So you'll find that empathy also is lacking in a vulnerable narcissist. They're more insecure. They tend to be less happy. They're passive. They tend to be quite defensive. And they love to play the victim. Nobody ever cares what I want. No, go ahead. Do what you want to do because I don't matter. And you hear these things over and over and over. (laughs) And you think, oh, it pulls at your heartstrings, which is just what it's intended to do. And they like to blame you. They don't have a lot of autonomy in their life. They're pretending that they are being driven to be less than, they're being put down. They're, They're the ones who are doing all of this. And it's very covert. It's hidden. And they have a big fear of criticism. So they try to stay in the background. They don't allow themselves to be out there to be criticized. It doesn't make them less self-centered and self-absorbed. They're still very concerned about themselves getting what they want, um, but they do it in a more covert way. They complain about what they never get as opposed to what they want. And they will play on your heartstrings, as I said. So if you have been taught to go the extra mile for someone, um, to always be looking out for the underdog, and you happen to meet a vulnerable narcissist, a covert vulnerable narcissist, you will think, oh, you've never had a chance. No one ever has given you a chance. Let me be that person. And you get into a real caregiving road. And that's the way that you have the relationship set up that you will take care of them because they are so hurting and fragile and they will make outrageous demands on you. And we get into this horrible give and take where you are doing all the giving and they are doing all the taking, but they're complaining that they're never given anything. Does that sound at all familiar? 
that it, it you just can't seem to stop it. It uh, it just is always well. That was great, but I appreciated that. But it could have been more. Nobody ever completely gives me what I want. And so the vulnerable narcissist is just as you would picture that, you know, in the same way you picture grandiose, you know, right out there center stage. And you think of vulnerable narcissist, like, oh, poor me. Like, oh, don't hurt me. I'm very fragile. And that's the message that comes across. Now, there is another kind. And this kind is the communal narcissist. Now, this is something that we don't talk about a lot, but I have done a previous podcast on communal narcissists. So if you have an interest in knowing more about that, go to my podcast at saveyoursanitypodcast.com and find that um, find the little magnifying glass and just do a search on communal wherever you like to get your podcasts, and you'll find that. But if you go to SaveYourSanityPodcast.com, you can search it right in the search bar. So go to SaveYourSanityPodcast.com and look up the one on communal narcissists to learn more about it. But let me tell you a little bit about them. They, they want to portray themselves to be the most supportive people in the world, the most supportive, the most helpful, the most self-sacrificing, the most selfless. I would do anything for you, anything at all. But it's to give the impression that they are these very special people. And this is where the narcissistic tendency comes in because they're doing it to prove how special they are. And they're doing that proving of specialness by indicating that, you know, I will do anything. I will put myself 80th to make you first. I will wear my fingers to the bone and all of that. But there's a place where it shows up that you might not have even recognized as communal narcissism. Have you ever noticed on Facebook there are some people who just need to tell you of their good deeds all the time? You know, they'll say something like, well, I don't usually post this, but, you know, when I was uh, in in the food, in the restaurant, getting my food, I realized that there was this person there who was looking longingly at the menu. And I, you know, I, I don't like to talk about myself in this way. And I'm not bragging, I'm not tooting my own horn, but you know, it just pulled at my heartstrings. And so I had a meal with them and we sat and talked. Now, yes, a one-off situation where that happens once in a blue moon for somebody, great no communal narcissistic tendencies. But if you notice people repeatedly telling you what they did for other people, what they did for the community, where they got awards, where they got awards for being that supportive, wonderful, self-sacrificing person, then you can start to think, whoa, what's really going on here? You know, we're only talking about tendencies here. We're not diagnosing anybody. But you start to see that. Have you seen that? Have you noticed that? Does it somehow strike you as disingenuous sometimes? Now, that would be your radar picking up this communal narcissistic tendency that I can couch my good works 
by being supposedly and portraying myself as humble and then telling a good story so that you will think better of me because I have been this wonderful sacrificing person. And that gets very engaging and people say, oh, that's wonderful. Aren't you kind? Aren't you? And yes, that's true. For a person who does that, they are kind, they are giving. But if they have to report it, it loses a little something in translation, doesn't it? If you have to tell of your good works all the time, if you have to include stories about how you were actually the hero over and over and over, that is a sign of communal narcissism. Endeavoring to elevate yourself in the community, but by doing something that on the surface looks very good, but then you wonder about the motives. And that's where the communal narcissistic tendencies come in, that they're doing it for the notice of being good, not because of who they are necessarily, but because it gets them notice and makes them the center of attention in a very covert way. And yet it's overt when it shows up on social media. So then it certainly isn't covert. But you may not have picked up on that one. Or you may have just had that uncomfortable feeling like this isn't sitting very well with me. This keeps showing up from this person. And that can be an example of communal narcissism. And so then we have grandiose and we have vulnerable. We have communal. And then the last one, the big kahuna here, is the malignant narcissist. These are dark people. These are people with dark intent. These are people who actually want to hurt you and maybe are happy to hurt you. Malignant, you know, just like a cancer tumor, it's going to grow, it's going to fester, it's going to cover other things, it's going to travel to other parts of life, it's going to eventually take you over and perhaps be your demise. So not hard to remember the name, a malignant narcissist. And they're the cruelest ones there are. And they're aggressive. They're ruthlessly aggressive. They will push and push and they don't care who they hurt. They don't care who they step over. They will even overtly say that it doesn't matter what happens to other people because it gets me what I want. They're very, very clear about that. On the other hand, they're paranoid. That is everybody on board with me? Everybody agrees with me, right? I am the, don't you dare not agree with me. Don't don't you dare because I'll crush you like a gnat. Um, they tend to be sadistic. They'll have no problem stepping outside anybody's moral compass. <laughs> they just don't have a problem with that. They will do whatever it is to reach their goals and to push them forward and on top of the pile. They treat everybody as though they are subservient to them and that they don't matter. They like loyalty, but they will never give you loyalty. They demand loyalty from you in many cases. If you want to be around me, you have to be 100% loyal, but they'll throw you under the bus in a heartbeat, even if you've been the most loyal person to them forever. And there you are saying, but I did so much for you, and they are off with your head, sort of like the, the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland, you know, off with their heads. <laughs> And that, that's the way that um, malignant narcissist rolls. And and they, they love to create chaos and fog and confusion. 
they say something, then they say they didn't say something, and then they say you took what they said wrong, and then that that rolls into your dumb, you don't listen, it, you're stupid, and then they go for the kill again. They'll be sadistic and cruel and aggressive. And so it is It is something that just grows and grows and the relationship gets all over you and you start shrinking if you stay in the relationship because they are taking up so much space that that you just keep shrinking. And notice that because these are the most deceptive narcissistic people can be deceptive. They lie with ease. They they like to manipulate in different degrees depending on the kinds of narcissistic behavior. But the malignant narcissist is the most deceptive, the most manipulative, the cruelest. And these are very important because they love to get power by ruining other people's lives. Can you imagine living like that? That you love to get power by ruining the lives of other people. Well, that's the malignant narcissist. And when you see it in action, it is head spinning. Because once you see what's actually going on, you just have to shake your head at it. Like, oh, there it is. Those are the patterns. That's what they're doing. And when you can step away and have a perspective on it, things can improve because then you see the game. You see, you see the, the way that they go about manipulating you. Just like master puppeteers, the malignant narcissist particularly like that role. I can make you do anything and nobody knows I'm up here pulling all the strings. So when they get found out, they are furious, just furious. There is wrath like you have never seen raining down on absolutely everyone. And no one is safe from the malignant narcissist. You've got to stay out of their path. And then they blame you for staying out of their path. So it's a very, very difficult one. So if you are anywhere near someone who has malignant narcissistic tendencies or behaviors, you really want to see them clearly. And that's why I wanted to make the distinctions among these four kinds of narcissistic behavior um, so that you could see you're not going to diagnose them, but you're going to know better what you're dealing with. And when you can step back and see that that's the case, you know, I've said many times on the podcast, I was raised by two hijackals. They were very different from one another. They were both very passive aggressive, of course, because almost all hijackals start, start by being very passive aggressive, but they were very deceptive. They, I had one who was definitely in the sort of vulnerable communal, that was my father, and my mother was more borderline, but she showed a lot of narcissistic tendencies, and it was really difficult to discern whether she was actually a borderline or she was narcissistic in the more, well, not grandiose, but in a very declarative I'm right kind of way, not malignant, not cruel and nasty. Although, of course, my experience of her was she was cruel and nasty, but in the world, she didn't appear cruel and nasty, but she definitely was opinionated and other people were less than she. 
So all of these things are part of that. Now, there's one other thing. I will do a podcast on it by itself because it's so important. But there is something beyond these four categories, which is called the dark triad. And these are the worst of the worst of the worst. I just want to put it in here in case you have run into this. And these are the people in the dark triad who contain the traits of three things. They contain narcissistic traits, psychopathic traits, and Machiavellian traits, meaning that the means always justifies the end. And the end justifies the means. So to get what I want, I can do anything. I can be as ruthless as I care to be. That's Machiavellian. But the the psychopathy or the psychopathic part of that is that there is absolutely no empathy. It cannot even be, in some cases, cannot even be mustered up and pretended to exist. And then there are the narcissistic people pieces that I've been talking about tonight. And you put that into that dark triad and you, you get those three areas all working at the same time. And it is so soul crushing. It is so nasty. It is so difficult and so terrible that I will devote a podcast to it so that you can hear more about it a little later on in and maybe in a few weeks. So we have these four types of narcissistic behavior that hijackals engage in. And I just want to talk about something that I created when I was creating the idea of hijackals. And there are three degrees of two of these kinds of narcissistic tendencies. In the the vulnerable and in the um, communal, we will find that there are some degrees of this, not so much in the grandiose, not definitely not in the malignant, but in the communal and the vulnerable, we'll find that there are degrees. And here's how I define those degrees. There are what I call white hat hijackals. These are the people who learned to behave in certain ways when they were young, and they, they don't like themselves when they do it, it's the only thing they've ever learned. It's the only way they know how to make their their way in the world. But they don't like themselves when they do it, and they feel badly, and they're apologizing for it, but they still do it occasionally. So these are the people who are copying a parent or a significant other um, person in their life when they were growing up. They hate themselves for their behaviors. They want help. They get help. Then they're not, that's not to be confused with the borderline person. But when they get help and they get new strategies and they get new skills and they get new understanding, they actually will engage in sustained change. So, one of the tasks that I have when people come to see me is all right, you know, what are we actually dealing with here? And that's a, that's a really important thing question to ask is what kinds of behaviors can I expect to have changed? So, you know, if you want my insights on what's going on in your specific case, I do offer this uh, new client opportunity for $97 an hour session at beaclient.com. Because if this is ringing some bells for you and you want to know exactly what I'm dealing with, I can help you. So go to beaclient.com. But when we're dealing with white hat 
hijackals, they can change. They will change when I give them a new skill set, when they see compelling reasons, when they, they learn how to not do the nasty things and feel so much better about themselves. And then in that same category, just within the vulnerable and community nor communal narcissists are the gray hat hijackal. And this is the one that has infrequent displays of the behaviors, of the narcissistic behaviors. Infrequent, maybe when they're just truly stressed or when they're really feeling pressure from outside to behave in a particular way or the pressures of the world are, are too heavy for them or there's some major event that occurs. And so they will have an infrequent display. Or maybe it's just in one or two tender areas in their life that they just can't tolerate talking about and they just won't have it and they will pounce on you if you talk about it. So these can be either uh, mitigated by coming in and we talk about it with the, with the two people. That can often open some avenues up, but it also helps us to see what is immovable. And then the partner of that person can say, is that okay? Can I tolerate that or can I not? And a gray hat hijackal will present, as I said, just occasionally, maybe infrequently, maybe twice a year, three times a year, but it's big. It'll make a big fuss. Um, but the rest of the time, things are relatively okay enough. So there is that. And then there's, of course, the black hat hijackal. And this is a full-blown narcissistic person with usually some malignant traits. And nothing, nothing, nothing I can say, you can say, or the world can say will change them. They will not change. Now, they may come in with you to see me because their intent is to think that because they are on top of the pile and the smartest person in every room, they will come in with you to see me, but their intent is to manipulate me, to seduce me, to charm me into believing that their view of the relationship is the accurate view and that I should join with them in making you wrong. And this is why if you suspect narcissistic tendencies in someone, this is why you must go to a person who specializes in narcissistic wounds and narcissistic relationships, because otherwise they may not see it. I was working with a client today who said she'd been to several therapists who were wonderful and could help her with childhood issues, could help her with communication, do all kinds of things, but they never saw what she was dealing with at home. They just glossed it over. They would not see it. They didn't have a pattern for it, and they didn't have expertise for it. That's what makes it very important to go to someone like myself who specializes in that area. So I've given you four types of narcissistic behavior and three degrees of vulnerable and communal narcissistic behavior that um, we can understand. Be sure that you do not minimize hijackal traits. I know that you may like to trivialize them or rationalize them or justify them, but what that does when you do that is you are enabling them and you're not allowing what you actually see and what you actually feel to have meaning, to have weight, 
you are giving in to the narcissistic tendencies of another person. So be careful not to (laughs) minimize narcissism, (laughs) minimize narcissistic tendencies, minimize the degree to which a person is a hijackal, because we do have a tendency to downplay it and think that white hats are are all of them uh, and that, no, no, I couldn't possibly have a black hat hijackal in my life. No, no, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I I want to do all of that. And I really invite you to see it as it is, to whip off your rose-colored glasses so you can actually see those red flags that are there all the time and be able to say, ah, yeah, I get it. I see. And that tonight's has been uh, a good insight for you to see these different things and to be able to calibrate what's going on in your relationships. Because if you have one hijackal, it's usual that you begin to understand that you've had a few more. And there's always a reason for that. I can help you so that you will steer clear of them and know what to do with them should you happen to fall over one. But in the meantime, curb your enthusiasm for for them by having a reality check And that reality check always comes in the form of ABB, my formula. And I know those of you who've been listening to me for a long time know what ABB is. So we'll say it together. Always believe behavior. Never believe the words unless they match the behavior. Always believe behavior. So I hope this has been helpful. And until we talk again, take very good care of yourself because you're precious and you matter. Talk soon. Thank you for joining me on the Save Your Sanity podcast today. I hope you've had some new insights, some ideas and strategies to help you gain clarity and confidence for moving forward toward greater emotional health and safety. You deserve that, and so do your children. If you found value here and would like to support this podcast with a dollar or five each month, please do so at patreon.com slash saveyoursanity. Learn more about how to work with me by a video conference, join my optimized circles, or subscribe to this podcast and my YouTube channel at my website, transformingrelationship.com. Talk soon.